This video is brought to you in partnership with Careerist. If you're anything like me, you're always looking to better yourself, learn something new, try something different. When that feeling extends to honing a new and rewarding set of skills that may lead to a very fine paycheck, well, that's where Careerist comes in. Careerist is an online learning platform that can teach you how to develop your own websites, create apps, test the software that powers those websites, and utilize those skills to implement computer systems for large companies. Skilled Careerist advisors will help you choose your path of study, help you to find 100% remote internships when your course is completed, provide one-on-one -on -one mentorship along the way, in addition to assisting in your dream job search. What's more, most courses can be completed in under six months. As a very special promotion, sign up through the link on screen and get up to $250 off the course of your choosing and start your journey towards an exciting and rewarding future today. So my fiance and I have been on the lookout for a kitten to accompany our three month old cat that we already have. We searched and searched until one day he said to me, let's look on Craigslist. So I did. We found the perfect one. The only problem was that it was about two and a half hours away from our home. I inquired about it around 10.30 p.m. I know it was late, but almost immediately, I got a response. She sounded very nice over text and asked to see where I lived so that she would feel settled about the kitten living with us. She also insisted on going to their house. I know, I should have just dropped it then. At the time, I thought nothing of it, though. So I sent them a video, and we set up a time for the next day to meet. Next day came. I wasn't going to take my fiancé, but he insisted on coming with me, because, as we all know, Craigslist is rather sketchy. So we drove the 150 miles on our way there. As we were on our way, I was texting this girl that we would get there on time, and she responded with, Great, see you then. We arrived to the home, me in the driver's seat, my fiancé in the passenger, with his window down. I texted the girl and got no response. I called. Got the same. I ended up calling five times and texting in the course of an hour with zero response. I went up to the house, knocked on the door, but nothing once again. There was a car in the driveway, but no response from the number or the door. We got there at 6.30 and waited till damn near eight. Nothing. The neighbor came out asking if there was something wrong. I said that I'm here since I inquired about a kitten. And she said, a kitten? I said, yes, there was an ad on Craigslist. The woman said, no one has kittens in this home though. I showed her the ad and she said, oh, I know them. They're a pretty odd couple and they don't own any cats. I just helped them move their furniture yesterday. So I said, well, on their ad, it says that they have to get rid of the kitten since their new place doesn't allow pets. So the neighbor said, mm, that's impossible. I have a dog and so does the neighbor over there. We pretty much all have pets. I immediately found this creepy, thinking that the neighbor was also in on something, which then caused a feeling of anxiety. I thanked her and left along with my fiance. Literally 10 seconds after pulling off, I get a text from the girl saying, I'm just now getting your messages, 
Something must be wrong with my phone. Did you still want the kitten? Or no? I didn't answer. We just headed back home. What I don't quite understand is, they didn't get any money, they didn't ask for any money, but they asked me to show up knowing that I'd be with my fiancé. I had a bad feeling about it, but what did they want from me? This started back in the summer of 2013. I had just turned 24, about a year out of graduate school, and back living in California, in my childhood home, with my father and our dog. My days were mainly spent applying for jobs in the mornings, sending out my resume and cover letter online, and then heading over to a park for a vigorous workout in the afternoon. I found that keeping to this schedule was most productive for me. I live in an upper middle class area of a large city, in an area with no sidewalks, neighborhood walks, or jogs were out of the question. I was pretty allergic to the grass at a really nice neighborhood park that's about a five-minute drive from my house, so nearly daily, I'd make the trek to a much larger park, about 20 minutes from my house, and in a slightly more questionable part of the city. It provided a really nice jogging track and beautiful, peaceful scenery, including a man-made lake and various species of birds. I kept firm to this daily schedule during the weekdays, giving myself a break on weekends. Being that my visits were during the daytime on weekdays in the summer, the park was mainly inhabited by older, senior citizens, mothers with young children, and middle and high school age kids on vacation. Although I usually visited the park around the same time each day, I never really picked up on seeing the same people there. The park was quite large, and I really like how uncongested the jogging path around Man-Made Lake was. Also, even though the park was in a slightly less nice part of town, I never felt nervous or in danger in any way. There were always enough people around, and I never went off into any desolate parts of the park. As a child, I was always taught to be very aware of my surroundings, and I usually pick up on details where things seem wrong or suspicious. I never felt this way on my workouts. I kept to myself, worked out hard, and then would leave. On August 24th, which happened to be a Saturday, I was at home perusing the misconnections section of Craigslist, which I do sometimes for a laugh when I'm bored. In the M4W section, I saw a post entitled, I have to tell the woman I see walking. With the posted location as the exact city in which the park I walked is located. I opened the post. It was rife with spelling and grammatical errors, but this person essentially described me my workout clothing, my appearance, the basic description of the park, what time I'd come to the park, etc., down to details including the particular sunglasses and color sneakers that I'd wear. He mentioned that he wanted to know more about me and felt a connection. As I said, I never noticed anyone in particular at the park and certainly no one who had seemingly been watching me. I was very, very creeped out. But also, and I hate to admit this, curious as to who this was and how he knew all of these details. My next step was clear. I was way too curious. I created a throwaway Gmail account and replied to this stranger's post on Craigslist. Not expecting a direct response, I was surprised when one came in almost immediately. I asked him several questions, including the specific park to which he was referring and who he was. 
I was almost expecting this person to just be playing some sort of prank. He answered immediately. He was, in fact, referring to the park I visited, identified himself as Mike, and then did something so incredibly scary, I just couldn't believe it. He attached about seven images that he had taken of me, jogging and walking around this park, spanning from months earlier to just a few days previous. The pictures were classic stalker-style photos, sort of grainy and clearly taken by a cell phone. He asked, Is this you? I was starting to panic at this point. I thought that I needed to play it cool. I wanted to try to collect as much information as I could about this man and try to find out who he was without revealing too much about myself in the process. I never confirmed or denied that the images were of me, but pressed on as to who he was, what he looked like, etc. He described himself to me as a 33-year-old ex-military man, about six foot one, in shape, with short, dark brown hair, olive skin, and some very distinctive tattoos. He mentioned that he worked in an office building near the park and often took his dog there for walks on his lunch break. He continued that he was sure that he had caught my attention several times and that I would definitely recognize him if I saw him. He eerily stated, And when I run, I slow down to look at you. I was trying to scan my brain to see if I had ever seen someone who matched that description and I really could not remember anyone. Hoping for nothing pornographic, I asked for a picture of his face. About 30 minutes later, I got three of them. I opened up the images and clearly they were of three different men, none of them really matching the description of himself that he had provided. A quick Google reverse image search confirmed that he had sent me fake pictures and of three different men entirely. Two of them seemed randomly chosen as if he had stolen photos from Facebook or something like that. But the other was, very alarmingly, a photo taken from an online memorial website of an ex-military man who had died under suspicious circumstances several years back. Now I was agitated that this creep was playing games. I called him out on the sending of fake photos, and he replied with his phone number, begging me to call him so that he could explain. I now had another piece of evidence on the creep. Full of both adrenaline and fear, I googled the phone number, which gave me his full name, address, and age. His name was in fact Mike, but he was 42, not 33, and he lived with his mother. He lived fairly close to the park. I also searched for any prior arrests or evidence of a criminal history, but to no avail. Being slightly too curious at this point, I decided that I would call him from my home number, which is blocked and would not show up on his cell phone. He picked up, and I could immediately tell that he was in fact much older than he initially claimed. I called him on this as well. He denied it, until he broke down and admitted that he was 40, but not 42. He said he didn't want to admit that he was, quote, old. I then called him out on the fake photo. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Priceline. He claimed that the images were real, 
and then insisted two of the photos were friends of his, and the other was his brother. He made up a complete story of the photo of his supposed brother as well, which I knew was fake, because his real last name, which I learned from the online records, and the name of the man who had died under suspicious circumstances, were not nearly the same. Many other details didn't match up either. At my insistence, he finally emailed me what he claimed to be a real image of himself. The man in the photo appeared older, portly, and what could only really be described as greasy, sleazy, and Guido-esque. This creep would not stop talking about himself, bragging about his cars, money, vacation homes, designer clothing. Then, like a switch, he got really creepy. He began to get explicit, talking about how he loves watching women work out in tight, spandex clothing, and how he likes watching really young women exercise. I don't exactly remember how, but I got off the phone and made up some excuse as to why I couldn't text. I obviously didn't want him having my phone number. Before I hung up, he mentioned that he was meeting some friends at a Mexican restaurant slash bar, which was somewhat close to the park that I visited. At this point, I call up a close older male friend of mine, we'll call him Bobby, who is a super intelligent, professional lawyer. He's always been a confidant of mine, a true friend, almost an older brother. I told Bobby the whole story, and he was just as freaked as I was. Perhaps we were both too curious to figure out exactly who this creep was, but we hatched a plan to stake out this bar restaurant, which was pretty close to Bobby's house as well, just to see if Mike would ever show up. The area was heavily trafficked, and we assumed the restaurant would be very busy on a Saturday night, so we were none too worried. Since hanging up with Mike, he had made more repeated attempts to engage in conversation with me over email, although I never responded. I drove to Bobby's house, left my car in his driveway, and Bobby drove us to the vicinity of the bar. The plan was for me to wait in the car, which was parked around the corner from the bar, while Bobby would casually go inside order a drink, and see if he saw Mike. I had shown Bobby the real photo that Mike had sent me earlier. I definitely didn't want to go in myself. I didn't want to see the man and confirm to him that it was me, the girl who he had stalked and photographed for months, who he had found, spoken to on the phone, and now was laying eyes on in person. So, bad idea or not, I stayed in the car. I was filled with anxiety, trying to stay calm, my mind moving a million miles a second. Maybe around a half an hour later, Bobby left the restaurant and hopped into the car. He seemed shaken and just not himself. He insisted we drive around a little and not go back to his house directly. Bobby is always calm and level-headed, so it was unusual to see him like this. When we finally stopped killing time and driving around, we went back to his house and began to talk. This is when he told me the whole story. Bobby, as planned, had walked into the Mexican restaurant, got a seat at the bar. Surprisingly, it just wasn't as crowded as expected, and it was starting to clear out. Bobby said that what seemed to be a large birthday party was leaving, and he was told that the kitchen was closing, and there were only a few patrons left in the bar. Shortly after he ordered a beer from the bartender, a single man came up and sat right next to him and began making small talk. This was odd to me, because in the city where we live, strangers pretty much keep to themselves. It wasn't like this man was drunk and being super friendly either. Bobby said that the man was completely sober, 
didn't even appear to be drinking. Bobby told me that the man resembled the real photo that Mike had sent over email, almost like an aged has-been actor or an older, out-of-shape former bodybuilder, and that this man then began gloating about his money, cars, houses, just as Mike had done earlier on the phone. Bobby said that the conversation was absolutely one-sided, only managing to eke in a wow or a oh really in an as enthusiastic as he could fib tone. Then, Bobby told me, like nothing, the man just started ranting and raving, getting visibly angry over how he couldn't meet any decent women. Bobby's older brother and mother sadly suffer from mental illness. He's been around it his whole life, and pretty aware of it when he encounters it in the wild. Bobby told me that the man was clearly ill, as he went on and on about how he watches women, but that things never get anywhere until he takes things into his own hands. Looking back, we both concluded that Mike was probably referring to coercing or forcing women into situations with violence. I was completely sickened at this point and felt like I really dodged a bullet. Bobby, utterly disgusted and having heard enough at this point, told me that he calmly acted like he was tired, paid for his beer, and got up from the bar stool to walk out back to his car and me. Then, Bobby told me the worst part that honestly still freaks me out to this day. As he was putting his wallet back into his jeans, Mike leaned in super close and told him, in what Bobby said was a calm yet somewhat sneering tone, you can tell your friend, I'll be waiting for her at the park on Monday. Bobby had never ever mentioned me or any of the situation to Mike, and I had never mentioned any of my personal life, including my name, social networks, friends, or any of the like to Mike. After this, I stopped going to that park and tried to forget about the whole incident. Mike continued emailing me for a fair amount of weeks, alternating between seeming desperation, yelling at me, being intensely sexual, and creepy stalkerish. I never replied. I figured that Mike was truly mentally disturbed and would eventually leave me alone as long as I didn't provoke. I've dealt with some stalker situations before and really didn't feel like getting my dad involved and going through everything with the police, etc. Also, I didn't feel like Mike was too big of a threat. I mean, he didn't have my real name, my real email address, any of my phone numbers. I figured that as long as I avoided that park, I would be fine. Months went by and I stopped checking my fake email, started a new job, and pretty much forgot all about Mike. Got a new cell phone, new cell phone number, completely unrelated to the mic issue. I only gave my number out to my dad, new boss, and a small handful of lifelong friends. I was very careful and more guarded than ever due to this incident. I also never picked up blocked or private numbers on my cell. But then, on November 26th, while at work, I got five calls on my cell phone in rapid succession from blocked numbers along with five corresponding voicemails, followed immediately by a call from a number that I didn't recognize. No voicemail on that one. Once at home that night, I remembered the calls and played the voicemails. The content was extremely unsettling. The man on the other end of the phone repeated the lyrics to the song, Me So Horny, by Two Live Crew, in various accents. Said my name multiple times, and followed that with some muffled things that sounded somewhat like threats or other general harassment. 
He also seemed to have great difficulty in hanging up the phone, which made me laugh. Then I googled the phone number that called me immediately after the five blocked calls and voicemails, whom I assumed was the same person. I stopped. Yep, it was Michael S., or Mike as I had known him. I'm pretty sure he called five times blocking his number, and then accidentally called again, forgetting to block his number that time, and hanging up once he realized his blunder. To conclude, I have no idea how he got my new cell phone number, my name, or anything. I can conclude that he may have picked up my name from listening in on a phone call of mine at the park months before, seeing as he was insane and unstable enough to think that photographing and stalking women in a public park was acceptable behavior. I wouldn't put listening into conversations or spying past him either. But how he got my cell number is completely unexplainable. We have no mutual friends. And as I said before, I took strong precautions in not revealing any of my personal information to him. I have since blocked his number, and thankfully nothing has happened since that point. So I finally felt a bit more comfortable in sharing this scary, scary story. I hope I've not left out any details, although I may have. It's taken me a lot to sit down and write out this whole thing, so thank you for listening. I was working on a no-budget film, a really trashy script, weird plot, no redeeming values at all. Toward the end of production, me and the director were going around getting second unit inserts. We were on 59th Street at 6am on Sunday morning, unloading the camera. We were going up to a penthouse he knew of to get a shot looking down into Central Park. No one knew about the film other than the production crew and actors. It would never ever have been mentioned in any social media. So the director and I are unloading. There's no one around, except for one homeless man. He's shuffling along the sidewalk, heading in our general direction. He's one of the sad, mentally ill people that our society refuses to help, so his schizophrenia is untreated, and he's out on the streets, and he's talking to himself nonstop as he comes along. When he gets close to us, He stares directly at us and says, And here are those guys that are making that movie about... And he proceeds to rattle off the entire plotline as he walks past, just as if he were reading the IMDB synopsis. None of our equipment was even visible, so there was no way that anyone would recognize us as a film crew. The director and I just looked at each other, confused, with a similar look of, What just happened? on our faces. No further explanation from the man as he shuffled away, but he absolutely left us wondering what that was in his wake. 